Okay, it now remains just for me to introduce our guest speaker today. So there is a, a couple called Daniel and Emily Smith, who many of us will know, uh, who were part of this church for many years. I'll tell you about it uh, in a minute. And uh, left here, getting off for a year ago now, to follow a vision to plant a vineyard church in Gloucester. Um, it was wonderful that they were with us for a number of years. We loved them to bits, and it's fantastic to have them here with us again today. Um, it is Emily Smith who is going to be sharing with us, so would you give a really warm Eltry Vineyard kind of welcome to Emily Smith. Good morning, everybody. It's... Um it's really wonderful to be back here um, amongst our family and friends. So um, thank you for having us here. Um, my husband just before the first service said, oh, you should probably talk a bit about what we're doing in Gloucester before you crack on with your talk. So um, for those of you, um, so I thought I'd just give you a quick update and overview of what our last six months of Gloucester Vineyard has looked like. Um, and it's been wonderful. It's been great. Um, we have had people come and join our little community. Um, we have worshipped together. We have grown together. And we've learnt more about God's character together. We've been out serving Gloucester, which has been great. We've been doing um, fortnightly litter picks um, around all, all different areas of Gloucester. Been getting to know people in their neighbourhoods. Um, we've met with local councillors. We've um, joined up with the council to kind of clear rose gardens and also and it's just been wonderful it's been a really um active and um, six months of getting to know god and serving gloucester and it's been great so update done right you'll know exactly what we're doing <laughs> um well, thank you very much for having me here today. Um, as Steve has said, um, I'm Emily, and with uh, my husband, Daniel, um, we used to come here. We used to call this home um, for about four and a half years, um, and it's from here and this wonderful community who we love very much and who have helped us love God incredibly more. Um, that's grammatically correct, right? Incredibly more. Um, and it's from here that we went to plant a church um, earlier this year. Um, so I just wanted to talk a bit about our story, um, particularly the last year, um, and what God has been showing me and talking to me about through it. Um, so about three and a half years ago, um, Daniel and I started some leadership training here at Aylesbury Vineyard. And once we started, we... Um, got a bit nerdy on Church and God and loved it. And we just had this growing sense um, in us that God was calling us to plant a church, um, that God was telling us to go and to start another church to bring the kingdom of God in Gloucester specifically. Um, and as we pursued it more, we felt that he had told us to go and start this church in Gloucester in the beginning of 2018. Now, Daniel and I are always up for some sort of adventure, um, especially where God's um, concerned. Um, we're not massively risk-averse, much to our parents' fretting and dismay. Um, and so we were really excited about this, this kind of calling, this stirring in our hearts. Um, and so after lots of reflection and discussion and prayer, um, just to make sure that it was God's idea and not us just getting excited and wanting an adventure, um, we made plans to move to Gloucester. Um, and we moved in December of last year um, and started what God told us to, Gloucester Vineyard Church, in February of this year. 
Um, and like I say, it's been awesome. It has really been wonderful. We've met some amazing people, um, seen some wonderful stuff, had great conversations. Um, it's really been fantastic so far. Um, however, it has been a truly insane year for us. Um, I think I can legitimately say it's probably been the toughest year of our life um, in almost all aspects of it. Um, we had our second daughter just over a year ago, um, and the day before she was born, Daniel got offered a job in Gloucester. Um, so instead of spending paternity leave in this kind of little bubble with our newborn baby and our toddler, um, we spent it putting the house on the market, getting it ready to be sold, um, and finding a new house in Gloucester. I remember going around um, <laughs> looking at houses, and people were like, how old is your baby? And we're like, two weeks? And they're like, what are you doing? You're insane. Um, and we had a fair amount of hassle um, with mortgage applications. Daniel's job took forever to officially come through. Apparently got stuck on DBS checks, so take from that what you will. Um, and with me being on maternity leave, um, mortgage applications were just hard work. Um, moving day eventually arrived, and the week consisted of sickness bugs, um, snow, key delays, uh, meaning that we were standing outside <laughs> with a baby like please give us our keys soon. We really need to go inside. Um, and clingy children. And we just got to the end of our first week in Gloucester, just done, like totally spent, like what have we done? How are we here? Um, and we just, a week in, Daniel and I put the girls to bed and we just got into our living room, got onto our knees and we just sobbed our hearts out and we just cried and called out to God and we just praying that there was something that was better than boxes and snow and vomit and unsettled family life. We were wrecked after five months of a newborn baby and a stressful life transition and we were just at the point where obeying God, doing what he called us to do just made no sense anymore. We were broken and to be honest, weren't even sure that we could trust God anymore, that what he had called us to um, was right. <laughs> we were like, uh-uh. And just to clarify, this was all before we'd even begun Gloucester Vineyard Church. Um, this was before we'd even started, and we just had, we had no idea how we could find the energy or the motivation to get going with Gloucester Vineyard Church as well. Um, and then at the end of January, so about six weeks into our time in Gloucester, um, we went to the Vineyard National Leaders Conference. Um, and on the last night, a guy called Mike Pilavachi gets up to speak, and he talks about doing whatever God tells you. And I'm not sure if this was his point, but I came away um, going, okay, God, you have spoken to us. We've heard you. We have to trust you. Let's do this. And it was about three days before our first official meeting as well. And since then, the last six months have continued to be quite hard work, if we're honest. Um, it's been financially stretching with childcare, maternity leave, mortgage, never-ending list of jobs that come with a house. Um, and it's been emotionally draining as the children um, settle into their new homes, as our eldest has missed her friends, um, as um, they've settled into a new nursery, as they've made new friends. Um, I felt quite lonely at times. Um, I don't know anyone, I didn't know anyone in Gloucester. Um, I didn't know which toddler groups to go to, didn't know where the best place to get the best bargains for home were. 
Um, and Daniel and I have both started new jobs. Um, so I now work part-time as a practice nurse, um, which is wonderful, and I love it. But again, starting a new job is tiring and draining on your mind. And um, my husband Daniel works in a prison. Um, he teaches horticulture. Um, and that can understandably be massively psychologically and emotionally challenging too. The last year of our life, as we've been pursuing what God has called us to, has been pretty hard on us as a family, um, as a married couple, as individuals. It's been hard physically, emotionally, psychologically, financially. My promoting church planting to you? It's great, right? Um, but I can say that despite the insanity of our last year, there's been one aspect of our life that, for me, has increased tenfold. And that is my trust in God. I can't begin to describe the journey of my faith in the last year alone. In being obedient to what God has called me and Daniel to, in doing whatever he tells me, I've been angry at him, I've cried with him, I've found great joy in what he's shown me, I've taken delight in seeing him move and work around me in people, in nature, in circumstances. And there have been times when I've gone, what on earth is this? Like, what is going on here, God? And times when I've been like, yes, Mm, Jesus, amen. And through doing whatever he has told me, through obeying him, I've learned to trust him even more. Now, I'm not a massive fan of the word obedience. Um, I think it kind of conjures up kind of negative connotations, kind of dictatorial relationships, or someone generally being, being unhappy, or a lack of free will. Now, obedience is, is not a popular term nowadays, um, especially as it's often come across, um, it's often written about as a result of an abuse of power you know, where people are forced to obey um, oppressive political or religious agendas. Um, Obedience does not have good connotations. But I wonder if it has to be like that. I have two small children, and there are times when, actually, for their benefit and for their growth, it would be better if they obey me, if they do as I ask of them. Uh, my eldest, Rosalind, and I, we love baking together. Um, she's getting really good at it. And um, she thoroughly enjoys um, weighing out the ingredients, making it balance. Um, she likes mixing them all together. And, um, and of course, bowl licking. Who doesn't? That's the best bit about baking, right? Um, and in order for us to bake the best... In order for us to learn baking skills the best, in order for us to have the most fun, she has to follow my instruction, work within my parameters. Um, And through that, she has learned to trust what I'm saying too. In that process of her listening to me and what I'm saying and us working together, she has learned to trust me. That when I say enough, it means it's enough. We don't need any more baking powder. When I show her how to crack an egg and get her to do it herself, she can trust what I'm asking her to do and follow my instruction. But there are also times when she has to obey me, even when she doesn't understand why. This has been particularly prevalent recently with the amount of sunshine we've had. 
Um, I make my children wear sun cream when they're out in the sun. Both my children are quite pale, and it's a good thing to do. Um, but she flipping hates sun cream. Like, we've had a lot of wriggling, a lot of protesting, um, and just downright refusing to have sun cream on. You know, as far as she can understand, she wants to go outside in the sun with her friends and play. And I'm like, oh, but first, I'm just going to rub white slimy stuff all over you because that's how you do it safely. She's like, what? This makes no sense. How does this correlate to each other? You know, obeying me makes no sense to her in that moment. But I have a greater perspective and I know that she needs this and it's good for her and she will benefit from this. She'll get it one day, but right now it's about as incomprehensible as Boris Johnson's hair. And as far as I can see, obedience does not have to mean oppression and a lack of free will. Um, In fact, it can be so much more freeing than that. And from what I read in the Bible and what I'm discovering myself is that it's not about blind obedience to the detriment of myself. Obedience is not God abusing his power, us having a lack of free will or being generally unhappy. So what is it? What does it look like? And there's story after story after story in the Bible of obedience or not, um, and all that that entails, what obedience to God looks like and how people are changed through being obedient to God. Stories where doing what God tells you makes no sense whatsoever, where it's scary, but that the end result is awesome. So there's this one time when Jesus is at a wedding with his family. Um, And it's a big wedding, and it's a wedding where everyone's having a great time. Um, So much so that all the wine has run out. My kind of party. Um, Now, this would have been a big embarrassment um, if all the guests were to find out. And so all the servants were behind the scenes like, oh, my goodness, we've run out of wine. What should we do? What are we going to give people? Getting their knickers in an awful twist. Now, Jesus' mum, Mary, what a woman, love this woman, um, she notices this awkward situation and and kind of goes, hmm, something's happening in the background. I'll help out here. She quietly goes over to Jesus and is like, um, Jesus, they have run out of wine. There's no more wine. And then she goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Mary, in my books, absolute hero of the day here. She kind of says, right, there's a problem here. Uh, Let me just uh, put this person and these people together. Problem solved. She kind of melts into the background like, my work here is done. Um, What a woman. Anyway, um, the servants are looking for direction, and Jesus tells them what to do. He says, fill the jars with water. They must have been like, "Uh, sorry, mate, (laughs) we don't need water, we need wine. Um, You know, wine is what we've run out of. Um, And Jesus is just like, fill the jars with water. So they do what he tells them, and they fill these jars with Presumably, not the modern clean tap water you and I would think of. Um, Likely unfiltered, sedimenty, kind of dirty, unclean water. This does not make sense. But then Jesus says, now, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. 
Can you imagine? Like, if I, Jesus wants me to carry a cup full of dirty water to the master of ceremonies at this big wedding, I am not going to leave with my job. Um, right now, what you're asking me to do makes no sense whatsoever. Like, how is this helping with the wine situation? But it says the servants followed his instructions. They must have been absolutely wetting themselves, like, hope he's had too much of the other wine to notice I'm giving him dirty water. Um, Absolutely wetting themselves. But this is Jesus' first miracle. The story goes on to say that when the master of ceremonies tasted the wine... There you go, just giving the game away there, haven't I? When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine. Like the dirty water had become wine. So what? You know, and not only that, but the MC then calls the bridegroom over and says, a host always serves the best wine first. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, which is a great party trick planning for you all. Um, but you have kept the best wine until now. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding where the bridegroom had miscalculated the wine requirements. And he turns dirty water into top-notch wine. But this is the beauty of the situation. The servants did whatever Jesus told them to do. They listened to what he had to say, and they followed his instruction. And what a privilege it must have been to witness that first miracle. To have been in the know on what had just happened. You know, it says, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew. You know, they were the few people in on that one. They had a truly intimate moment with Jesus, a little secret, a one-to-one with him. Um, You know, like, of course, the servants knew. Got you. You know, they learned through obedience to trust what Jesus was saying. And not only was there that moment of them doing what made no sense and witnessing something truly incredible that met their needs, but they were also able to see his very nature in that too. To learn something of God's character and his goodness. You know, Jesus didn't have to change water into wine. It wasn't necessary. It just helped a somewhat poorly planned wedding party out. But from what I can see, that alone shows a lot about Jesus' character. In being obedient to Jesus, doing whatever he tells you, we can see that God is a God of generosity. He's a God of abundance, of fun and joy, and much to Steve's delight, a God of top-notch wine. You know, it could have been a mid-range wine. It could have been flavoured clean water, and that still would have been pretty cool. But it wasn't. It was the best wine There was a real intimacy, a real bond formed between the servants and Jesus that day as they followed what he did, despite it making no sense whatsoever. They saw his character, he met their need, and they had a nice work moment with God. Doing what God asks of us might make no sense, but in following him, there's a special intimacy to be found. There is trust to be built. Through obedience, even when it doesn't make sense to us, we show and we learn trust. And then there are times when it not only makes no sense, but it can also be pretty scary too. 
You know, when doing what he asks of us um, makes all our insecurities rise to the surface, makes all our fears bubble, and we go, what? I am not sure I can do that. I'm not sure I'm the one for that, for this job. Now, I'm a real friend-reliant sort of person, so um, I like to know that I have one or two um, good friends physically nearby, um, like down the road, that I can go to whenever, whatever, and um, basically not get lonely and have some support in life. Um, And since having children, I have found it particularly invaluable, um, like... The three and a one-year-old, parenting absolutely makes sense when it's done in community. I'm like, it does not make sense to do it on your own. Having friends to parent with, for me, has been an absolute lifesaver. Um, and the idea that when God said, go plant a church, go to Gloucester, I would be going to a place where I knew no one, um, would be on maternity leave, home alone, all the time, with a toddler and a baby absolutely terrified me if I'm honest I was not looking forward to that aspect of it but this calling even though it's scary is nothing new there's sometimes God calls us to do something scary there's this one time when it happened with Jesus's disciples too not the um, toddler and baby discipleship childminding services um, not that but the disciples are um, in a boat on a lake during a storm. And it must have been a pretty big lake um, because um, a strong wind had created um, heavy waves that they were battling against. Um, The disciples are terrified. Um, And then they see Jesus coming towards them, um, walking on the water. Um, Now, bear in mind that these disciples have spent every day with him for however long. They've witnessed um, his previous miracles, um, and as some of his closest friends, they probably should have known what he looked like. Um, But they are so scared that they totally lose sight of him. Uh, They've lost their heads entirely and just shout to each other, It's a ghost! It's the only explanation. Um, And Jesus simply says, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Now, this simple message seems to be enough for one of the disciples, a guy called Peter. Um, Because he then calls out, If it's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh, what have I just said? I've just blurted something out with my big mouth, a real kind of foot in mouth. Like, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Um, He must have been like, Oh gosh, what am I doing? And the best thing is, Jesus says, Come. Jesus is out on the lake, not in a boat, in the middle of tumultuous waves, and he says to Peter, come. Now, that's a scenario to be scared of, if there ever was. Obeying his call meant, get it, meant for Peter getting out of the safety of the boat, the only thing that was protecting him from the stormy waves. But Peter, knowing Jesus, trusting Jesus and his words, don't be afraid, I am here, gets out of the boat. Peter does as Jesus tells him. He comes to Jesus, despite it making no sense and being terrifying. And because of his obedience in this, he gets the opportunity to walk on water to Jesus. Who gets that opportunity? And of course, Peter is scared. You know, there's a storm, 
They thought Jesus was a ghost. He said, you know, Peter said something insane, and Jesus went, yes, that ridiculous notion you just voiced, do that. You know, Peter's scared, and he starts sinking in the water. But Jesus immediately grabs him and says, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? And I definitely hear that, similar to how I talk to my kids if they don't look where they're going and walk into a wall or something like, what did you do that for? Come on, that was silly. And then it says that they climbed in the boat together, that Peter and Jesus walked back to the boat together. And they got in hand in hand. And Jesus said, come. Peter listened, trusted, and acted upon what Jesus said. And as a result, he not only got to walk on water, but he walked with Jesus. He had a moment that no one else can claim. Doing what God asks of us might be scary, but in following him, there's a unique intimacy to be found. There is a chance to show and to learn trust. Now, God spoke to Daniel Knight about starting a church in Gloucester at the beginning of 2018. He spoke, we listened, and then we followed his instruction. This is what I have learned this year, that through doing what he has asked of us, through obeying his call, we have learned to trust him all the more. He has provided for us, he has restored us, he's loved us and guided us, and through all of this, we have learned to trust him above all else. We have learned what a good God he is. And it hasn't made complete sense to us. Timing-wise, it made no sense. Um, we had good jobs here, we had a good home, and we had a newborn baby. Um, we have some very dear friends here. You know, we loved it here. We felt like we were being useful here, and um, we were growing in our faith here as well. Moving to Gloucester at that time did not make especially good sense to us. And boy, can we say it's been scary. Like, like I say, we're always up for an adventure, and we're not massively risk-averse. But when you have two small children relying on you for everything, when you move to a city where you don't know anyone, let alone have any friends, when you um, start new jobs, when your husband comes home having been in conflict with prisoners all day, when suddenly a few people come to your new church and are looking for spiritual leadership and guidance. There sure are days and times when it can be scary, when I can feel out of my depth and just cry out, Lord, save me. But in doing whatever he tells me, I have experienced a greater intimacy than any before. I have discovered and rediscovered more of God's nature and his character. I've learned more of his heart for people, including myself. I've put much more of my trust in him, and he has not failed. Obedience, doing what he asks, even when it's scary and illogical, is the very nature of trust. It's the moment where our faith turns into faithfulness, where we can pinpoint exactly where our trust lies. And so I'd like to end by challenging us here today to put our trust in God, to do whatever he tells us. And that's not an easy, that's not an easy thing. 
For some of us, we might know immediately what that looks like. We might say, oh, it's saying yes or no to that job opportunity or that part of community that's really been pulling on my heartstrings recently. I need to invest in that. For some of us, we instantly know what God is asking of us. But for some of us here, we might be feeling like we never hear from God. Um, We never hear him talking directly to us about where he wants us to be, what he wants us to be doing. And if that's, like, if that's you, I'd like to suggest that we don't have to have a written-in-the-sky moment to hear from God. That God speaks to us, that he tells us of his desire for our life through the Bible. And this is not a cop-out, hear me right. The Bible is awesome, and it is life-giving, and it is true. And God's desire, as shown in what is written, is for you. And there's a bit in the book of Romans that calls us to be a living sacrifice, to trust God with our whole lives, and to be transformed by him in order to know what he has for us. For some of us, that might mean we take a really good, hard, long look at our diaries, and we go, how is our time spent? How are we prioritising our calendar? Are we spending enough time with those to whom we're committed? to our friends, our children, our spouses, our family? Are we spending our evenings watching box set after box set or playing game after game on the Xbox? Are we okay with that? Do we feel like we're just too busy, that there aren't enough hours in the day to do all the jobs we need? Do we ever rest? And as as I've said, Daniel and I have had a mad year, um, and the last six months of church planting has really taken its toll on us. Um, And it's because we haven't learned to rest well. We haven't prioritised our diaries well enough to rest. You know, we've gone along the lines of, oh, we've just got to push through this, or we've got too much to do, there's not enough hours in the day. And that's not okay. God shows us an example of rest, and he encourages us, and he calls us to rest. And people have been praying rest over us for a little while now, uh, and we've finally gone, oh, Maybe God is talking to us about rest. Um, And so we're really going to invest in rest during August um, because God calls all of us to rest. And by being obedient in that, I get to test my trust as well. Do I trust God that everything that needs to be done will be done? Now, for some of us, we might have to take, to, to be a living sacrifice, to live and trust God, we might have to take a long, hard look at our bank accounts. You know, how our money is spent or not spent. Are we being generous? Are we thoughtless? Are we stingy? Are we giving to God? Do we want to? Should we? You know, when we look at our bank accounts, are we satisfied or not? And how does that make us feel? Are we letting God have a say in our finances? Or is that my business alone? You know, obedience is not doing the opposite of what we want. I would love to trust God more, to give my life to his way of doing things, because he knows best. He is my father. You know, to not worry about finances and let go of its hold over my life. You know, to see God's nature and character through trusting him to meet my financial needs when he calls me to give more than I'm comfortable with or more than the spreadsheet says that I should. I would love to see God's goodness in that. 
And I'd also, I'd love to rest. You know, that doesn't feel like something that I don't want to do and would do against my free will. You know, to, feel, to be able to feel like life doesn't have to be chaotic um, and that I'm doing the things only I can do and what he has called me to. Obeying these instructions is exactly what I want. It's exactly what I need. It's good for me. God wants what is best for us. You know, like the best parent around, God wants his kids to live their best life. And he has a greater perspective on that, like I do with sun cream and muslin. You know, maybe we feel like he's asking us to put white slimy stuff on us. You know, it doesn't make sense, but he has a greater perspective. Doing as he tells us, even if it makes no sense to us or requires extra dollops of courage, it means that we get to live our life to the full and to know God more intimately. It's about learning to trust a God who has the best for us and wants to bring the best out of us. Obedience is a journey of discovering intimacy with God, of learning to trust God again and again, and gaining a truer understanding of who he is and how he works.